0: Well, if you have your copies of Scripture, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Galatians. We embarked this morning on a new uh, sermon series to the book of Galatians. We're going to look this morning at Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 down to verse 12, the introduction and really the content of this book, Galatians 1, verses 1 to 12. And I know that you're going to find it exceedingly helpful to have your own copy of Scripture open and to be reading along in your Bible with me. Before we do, let's go to the Lord asking him to bless his word to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, there is never a greater time that we need your blessing than now, today. You say in your word today, if you will hear my voice, do not harden your hearts in unbelief. And our God, the unbelief that is in our hearts is so great It's so subtle. It's so permeating. We pray, Lord Jesus, that You would give us that saving faith that enables us to receive and rest in You and in Your finished work alone. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, we need You desperately. We need Your grace. We need the cross. We need Your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We need to hear the good news. We pray that, Lord Jesus, You would proclaim that good news this morning through me in the preaching of Your Word. We pray that You would be heard. We pray that Your Word would be exalted. We pray, Father, that You would accomplish the purposes that You want to accomplish in the lives of each one here. Oh, Father, we pray that You would not let us leave this place unchanged, that You would convict that you would convert, that you would sanctify, that you would set men and women and boys and girls free from guilt and condemnation and attempts to establish our own righteousness. Father, bless the reading and the preaching of your word. Lord Jesus, minister to us and make us to know that everything that we need is in you and we receive it by faith alone. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Galatians 1, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the living God, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man. Nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, I don't know about the other children who are here, but in our our home, the worst word that our children can say is no or not. No, 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 not, not, not are bad words in our home. And I think sometimes we think that the words no and not are bad words in our culture. I think sometimes we have the idea in our very tolerant society that saying no to things, saying something is not right, saying something is wrong in some way, we we see as intolerant and unloving. We live in the most aggressively tolerant society in a long, 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 long time in Western civilization. And we are constantly told, That may be true for you, but that's not true for somebody else. Or, well, we need to be gracious with people. We shouldn't be so dogmatic. We shouldn't say things so dogmatically. And we forget that beliefs and we forget that truths have consequences. We forget um, that Hitler, for instance, did what he did because he believed what he believed about the Jews. He believed something. He did something. His beliefs had implications. Our beliefs have implications. The belief of the gospel and the gospel itself and what it is is the one thing that we must dogmatically always say no to everything that attacks. No to everything that tries to pervert. No to everything that distorts that. And the Apostle Paul, let me say this emphatically, was a man who said no. The Apostle Paul was a man who said no. Some of you remember... Nancy Reagan's Just Say No at the height of the drug war when drugs were permeating the cities of America and homes and suburbs and Nancy Reagan said Just Say No and so the Apostle Paul says whenever and wherever and at any time that the gospel is being perverted you must say no to the perversions that pervert that gospel because the implication of that gospel is that you will be brought into bondage of legalism and condemnation and self-righteousness and fear. And you will be brought under the mastery of men and you will have your minds and your hearts taken captive to harsh masters when God wants you to be free to the gracious Lord Jesus Christ who has set you free, who has done everything in the Gospel, who is Himself infinitely beautiful. And we're going to see in Paul's saying no in this epistle, Paul's saying that that. There is a true gospel and that everything else is not the gospel and everything else must be rejected as not being the true gospel. The Apostle Paul is going to do three things here in this introductory section. He is first going to defend his own apostleship. He's going to defend his own apostleship. Then he's going to defend the message and then he's going to defend the motivation. He's going to defend the messenger, the message and the motivation. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Those three things here at the introduction of Galatians. Notice. In verse 1, Paul starts this as he starts almost every letter or epistle in the New Testament. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. He tells us who's writing this letter. He says, it's me, it's the apostle Paul. It's the great apostle to the Gentiles. We just spent eight months tracing out Paul's apostolic ministry and planting churches. Now we're reading the letters that he wrote to those churches. And he's addressing a church that he planted probably in southern Galatia probably about 25 years after the Ascension and Pentecost. He had planted these churches. He was the church planner of the churches in Galatia. And now he's writing to them and he's telling them who he is. And he says, he's Paul. And he says, the office that I hold is the office of an apostle. Now, I think I sometimes take for granted that I grew up in a Christian home, in a Reformed home, that I always knew who the apostles were and why that was important. And the longer I've been in ministry, the more I realize most people have misconceptions about who apostles are and really don't know why that's important. And I think it's important for us to nail down why Paul is saying, Paul, an apostle, why he is appealing to the office of apostle. An apostle means a sent one with a commission. One who is sent by Jesus Christ with a commission to take a message to people. He has been invested with the power of Jesus. And there were only 13 apostles. That was it. There's no more apostles. Contrary to the billboards, in every major city, there are no more apostles. Paul was the last. Paul was the great apostle of the Gentiles. He was one born out of due time. He is the one in Ephesians 3 that tells us he got to fulfill most of the, the word of God, that God used him like he used Isaiah and Jeremiah and David to fulfill the new covenant revelation. Peter says that Paul's writings were scripture. In Second Peter, he says, as our brother Paul wrote in as in all the scriptures, Paul's writings are scripture. No less, they have binding authority. You must believe them and submit to them because they are sent from Jesus Christ and Paul's apostolic ministry ensures the absolute authority. Now you could say, well, anybody could say they're apostles. apostle. They can. The question is, was he an apostle? Did he have authority from Jesus? Is there authority invested in what he wrote? And if there is, we must submit to it as the very word of God. Paul said that at the beginning of our service, we read 1 Thessalonians, where Paul thanked the church when they received the word that they wrote to them. When Paul wrote to them, he said, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, who which effectually works in you who believe. So the office of apostle is for the foundation of the new covenant church. Paul is defending his apostleship, not selfishly. Paul's not doing this to say, you better listen to me because I'm important. Paul is saying, Jesus Christ appeared to me. He set me apart. He gave me a message. He said, you must do this, Paul. You must go to the Gentiles. You must finish the revelation. And the church must receive that. And if we don't receive that, we have given up every anchor and every safety net and we surely will drift away. In unbelief, If we are not firmly rooted in the understanding of why Paul's apostolic ministry is important and in defending that ministry, what does Paul say in verse one? He starts off in an unusual way. He's on the defense. Another thing that's not popular in our culture. We're often told, don't be so defensive. Paul's on the defense. Paul says, Paul, an apostle, not for men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead. Why is Paul So concerned in telling the Galatians who he had preached the gospel to the very churches he had formed that my apostolic ministry is not through man or from man. Why is he so bent on that? Because he's having his apostolic ministry questioned. There have been false Jewish brothers who have crept into the churches and they have told the Gentile believers. Well, yeah, you need Jesus and you need the work of Jesus at the cross, but you really need to be circumcised too, and you got to become a Jew. And in order to bring that false gospel in, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. If you add anything to Jesus, you don't get Jesus. That's what Paul is going to say. In order to, to sell that to the church wholesale, they had to attack the authority of the apostle who had first preached the true gospel to them. And so they were attacking Paul's apostolic ministry. And so Paul is saying, listen, my apostolic ministry did not come from men. It didn't come through men, but it came through Jesus Christ and God the Father now it's easy for us to understand the not from men not through men Paul didn't make the gospel up he didn't learn it from other people and the other apostles didn't send him out that's what he's saying Paul was different than the twelve Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus road blinded him converted him commissioned him sent him out he directly received it from Jesus but notice the beauty of what Paul says in defending his apostolic origin notice this He says, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, wasn't Jesus a man? Wasn't Jesus a man? Wasn't Jesus a real man, flesh and blood, fully man, in everything that makes a man a man, without sin? Wasn't he a man? And yet Paul says, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ. You see, he is affirming the deity of Jesus. He is affirming the thing that natural men couldn't look past Jesus' humanity. They couldn't look past the fact that he was a man to see that he was more than a man, that he was God. And so Paul's saying, listen, my apostleship came from the risen, glorified God, man, Jesus Christ, and from God the Father. And brothers and sisters, you get no higher than that. Everybody appeals to experts, authorities in life. Well, I think this guy says this, and this guy says this, and I like this guy's book, and I think this guy's right. You don't get any higher than God the Father. Let me just say that. As frankly as I can, there is no expert before Princeton, before Harvard, before Yale. There was Adam, before Adam, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is taking it back and saying, my origin, my apostolic origin is from Jesus Christ and from God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, why does Paul, why does Paul bring the resurrection of the dead into a defense of his apostolic ministry well I think two things I think first because the Judaizers the false brethren who are perverting the gospel are essentially denying the finished work of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus shows that his work was complete and perfect and couldn't be added to God the Father raising his son from the dead said the sacrifice is done the blood is accepted sins are forgiven righteousness is provided for and it's all been done in Jesus Christ and so I think that's the first reason. I think the second reason is because Paul was met by the risen Jesus on the Damascus Road. When he was commissioned, the resurrected Jesus, who God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit raised up, appeared to him. And so the, the authority of the apostleship comes with the absolute realization of the resurrection of the finished work of Jesus. The gospel Paul is going to preach has been witnessed by the encounter with the risen Jesus on the Damascus Road. And we believe that by faith. And then notice what Paul does. He's still going to defend his office as apostle throughout this epistle some. But notice he greets them, like many of the other letters in the New Testament, and yet in one very different way. He greets them to the churches of Galatia. He's writing to several churches in this region of probably southern Turkey. To the churches of Galatia grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Paul is now transitioning really into a defense of the message. He's moving from a defense of the messenger to a defense of the message. And he doesn't tell them, like he says to all the other churches, to the church of Corinth, to the saints. He doesn't say to the saints. That's an interesting negation. He doesn't tell them privileges that believers have because they're denying the gospel. They're at risk of proving that they're not saints. That's why Paul doesn't address them that way. Paul doesn't say, I pray for you always, the way that he does in the book of Ephesians and the other letters in the New Testament. He doesn't remind them of all these things. What does he do? He says, let's cut to the chase. Let's get to the gospel. You need to be reminded of what the gospel is you need to be reminded of what the gospel is. And he says to them, grace to you. And in saying grace to you, what he's saying is you need the grace of God. And in saying peace to you, he's saying you need the peace of Christ. And the things that Jesus brings us, he is the grace of God. He makes peace through his blood. And then he says, from God the Father and Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. Who gave himself for our sins. He didn't give himself because you're so special. He didn't. Jesus did not give himself because there's something beautiful about you and me. He gave himself because we're sinners. He gave himself for our sins to pay the price for sin, for ugly, stinky sinners like me and you. He died and bled and bore the wrath of God. And Paul says, don't forget that. By adding anything to the Gospel, you're saying, I don't need Jesus. By adding anything to the finished work of Jesus, you're saying, I don't need sins forgiven. I have something in me to establish my unrighteousness. And Paul says, listen, don't forget, Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us, not that we might deliver ourselves, but that he might deliver us from the present evil age. You know, there's one big difference between Christianity, true biblical Christianity, And every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world is built on what you do. And if you're a good enough person and you work hard enough, you'll gain God's favor. If you're nice enough, if you love enough, if you're kind enough, if you care for people enough, if you believe in yourself enough, God will accept you and everything's good. If you look within, you're fine. And Christianity says you've got to look without. You've got to look outside because everything inside is filth. Everything outside in Jesus is beauty and glory and atonement and forgiveness and justification and righteousness, and it's all outside in Jesus. And he delivers us, and he gives himself for our sins. How? How are you going to deal with the guilty conscience? I know that you who are Christians are going to say, I've dealt with it at the foot of the cross. Jesus has paid for my sin. He's washed my soul. And yet we constantly need to be reminded of these things because... I think the book of Galatians is unique in that as it comes to the defense of the message of the gospel, there is the sober realization of how easily the gospel is lost and how quickly men are willing to turn away from the gospel. You know, these churches had been founded by Paul, but they didn't want to listen to Paul. Sometimes people don't want to listen to somebody just because they don't want to listen to them. They didn't want to listen to Paul. They didn't want to hear what Paul had to say. They didn't want to hear the gospel that Paul preached and yet it was that gospel that they so desperately needed. And in one year, it's estimated that Paul wrote this one year after he planted those churches. In one year, they were giving up the gospel. Now, the Bible says, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Do not think that you are strong enough to hold on to the gospel in your own strength and not to pervert it or lose it. We are deeply legalistic people in our hearts we are deeply legalistic people we are always trying to establish our unrighteousness we sin and then to quiet a guilty conscience we try to do nice things we try to have good deeds outweigh bad deeds experientially we try to quiet our consciences instead of saying Jesus has paid for my sin I go to you I confess my sin I repent I receive the salvation that you've provided for me that you've delivered me that you did it when I couldn't do it for myself that It really is all of grace that you add nothing to that. Nothing. That ought to sound so unreal to our ears that we can add nothing to the gospel and that God has done everything in Jesus Christ. And so Paul's reminding them the grace and the peace that they need come from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. And then notice in the defense of the gospel, notice how Paul uh, confronts in verse six. He says to the churches, I'm astonished. I, I am hurt. I am I am surprised all of those mixtures of how can you be turning away from the one who called you in the grace of Jesus? How can you be departing to another gospel that, yeah, has Christ and has faith and has those things, but we just add a little bit. Let me say at the outset we seem very detached from the Galatian problem because nobody here is going to come into our church and tell us you need to be circumcised and you need Jesus to get to heaven. But there are multitudes of Protestant churches who say the essence of Christianity is love, who say the essence of Christianity and what really matters before God is being kind and compassionate, who say it's making Christ the Lord, following him it's about following Jesus that's what really matters and Paul says no it's about faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ by which we're accepted and if we lose it there and we say well it's Christ plus my Christian character it's Christ plus this it's Christ plus baptism if you put baptism up there with Jesus you're doing the same thing that the Galatians did and I, with Martin Luther, will just tell you Satan is so much smarter than you and me. So much smarter. So much more vicious in his attack of the gospel. Everywhere that this gospel is proclaimed, Luther says the devil will be there to try to pervert it and he will do it endlessly until he succeeds. And some of the greatest manifestations of this in our day are scholars who um, have multiple PhDs, who read Arabic who read ancient Near Eastern literature? Who read literature? Who read Second Temple Judaistic literature? And they pervert the Bible and they say you get in by grace and you stay in by what you do. And Paul says you get in by faith and you stay in by faith. And Christ has done it all for you, and you rest in Him and you abide in His finished work by faith and faith alone. And you receive that passively. And so Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ. And turning to a different gospel, but there's not another gospel. So Paul's saying, if if you don't know what the gospel is biblically, if you're not grounded on what the biblical doctrine is, and somebody comes along and they talk about, uh, yeah, justifications by faith in Christ, sure, and your sanctified good works, you may be led astray by that. There's no other gospel. There's only one good news. If the message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone and justification by faith alone in Christ alone does not come as the sweetest, most freeing message to you, then you have another gospel. Or you have not believed the true gospel because the true gospel sets you free. It sets your heart free. It says you don't work for your salvation. It says you don't contribute. Yes, you work out your salvation, but you don't work for your salvation. You don't work to be accepted by God. If any of you here this morning are working to be accepted by God and you know in your consciences that you're doing that, look to Jesus Christ and his finished work. Paul, the apostle, says, don't desert him who called you in the grace of Christ. Don't turn away from the true gospel. And then notice what Paul says in verse eight. Paul doesn't even trust himself. Paul knows the futility of sinful flesh. And notice what Paul says in verse eight. Even if we, speaking about the apostles, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what you believe, let him be a curse to the deepest place in hell. Now, we don't want to be kinder than Paul. We don't. We want to be as ferocious as Paul for the sake of the gospel. Paul is not doing this because he's mean-spirited. He's not doing it because he's an elitist. He's doing it because the eternal well-being of the people of God is grounded upon the gospel of Jesus, the truths, the propositions. Listen, some people say they don't like propositions. Some people say, I don't really want so much propositional truth. Paul says you better know the propositional truths of the gospel because what you believe there is determining your eternal well-being. If you're accepted by God or not depends on what you believe there. And if somebody says to you otherwise... They're lying to you because they want you to believe something contrary than what you believe. Everybody believes something. Everybody believes something. What do you believe about Jesus Christ and the gospel and how you're accepted by God? Paul says, even if we, and we'll see in a couple of weeks that Peter does deny the gospel. One of the apostles will deny the gospel. If Peter can do it, we can do it. Let me guarantee you of that. If the apostle Peter needs to be rebuked by Paul, we can deny the gospel. And, and so, Paul says... Even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. He says it again. Let him be accursed. And then he says, and this is really behind all of these first two things, the motive, the motive for the gospel. Notice verse 10 in the defense of the gospel. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? What would make somebody deny the gospel? Doctrinally, Paul says here in Galatians, it was people wanting the approval of people. People in the churches wanted the approval of the false apostles who sounded better, looked better, and were seemingly more in tune with Jesus than Paul. It was man-pleasing, people-pleasing, not God-fearing. I think the fear of God, the Bible says, is his special treasure to his people, I think if there is one thing that the Christian church desperately needs is to start fearing God. It's to start saying, I don't care what men say. I don't care what people teach. I don't care what people believe. I don't care if it's not biblical, if it's not grounded on the grace of God and the gospel. I will not give up an inch, a ground, an inch to the grace of Christ. Not at all. And people can say you're mean and you're intolerant and that's harsh. It is the most loving thing we could ever do to have the attitude that Paul had. Am I seeking the approval of man or of God? If I'm trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You can't please men and Christ. You can't. You cannot serve men and Christ. You cannot serve the thoughts and the beliefs and the ways of men. The Bible puts it in perspective really wonderfully. Um, Isaiah says, why do you fear man whose breath is in his nostrils? Think about that. Why do you fear man whose breath is in his nostrils? He's going to die. Men are going to die. Men are not God. Men are not to be served. Christ is to be served. Christ is to be honored. The grace of God in the gospel of Jesus is to be defended vigorously. Listen, I'm going to confess to you. I need this more than anything. I need this message more than anything in the world because deep within me, I have the fear of man. I have the desire to try to attain my own righteousness. That is in every heart of every descendant of Adam. It's in your heart. It's in my heart. It's in all of our hearts. And Jesus says, I want to set you free. I want to set you free. Come to me and I will give you rest. Follow me. Believe in me. Trust in me. Call upon me. Look to me. Rest in what I've done. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it is finished, was he a liar? No. Jesus Christ finished. He perfected the work that the Father gave him to do. We can add nothing to that. We must believe that. We must believe it. We must trust in him and in his finished work. But we must never try to add to it. And we must never fear men who would have us perverted, even in the least bit. And then notice what Paul says in 11 and 12. It's a bookend. With verse 1 and 2, he comes back and he says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. There was a a story in the Gospels where Jesus in, um, I believe it's John 7, he is disputing with the Pharisees. And you got to love those accounts where Jesus is disputing with the Pharisees. They're some of the best accounts in the Bible, because Jesus just one-ups them every time, one-ups them, because he's God, he can do that. Just constantly, no, you're wrong, boom, 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 I'm God. And John 7, Jesus is debating with the Pharisees, and they don't believe him, and they're like, where are you from? We know where Moses is from, and we believe Moses, and, you know, who are you? And Jesus says to them, listen, you'll listen to anybody Any man that comes to you and teaches you something, you'll listen to it, Jesus says. It's one of the greatest sections in the gospel. He said you'll believe anything that any man comes to you, but when I come to you, who am God, and tell you the message from God, you don't believe. And Paul is saying essentially, listen, I didn't learn this from any man. I didn't get this from men. I didn't make it up. I didn't get it out of a hat. I didn't hear it from the angel Moroni. I didn't get it in the um, Arabian desert. I didn't get any of that. I got it from Jesus. He appeared to me. He spoke to me, the Jesus who lived and walked and, and spoke and healed, who was crucified and risen and ascended, came to me and he gave me the message. And it, it's as if Jesus gives it to you from Paul. And so Paul's apostolic ministry, the message of the gospel that he was entrusted with and the motive for those messages are everything. They're everything. And they're everything in verifying the truth of the gospel. I think that, as I close, I think that we need to really grapple both intellectually and in our hearts with what the gospel is, why we believe what we believe, who the apostles were, what the foundation, the authority of things are. You know, because, because the Galatian Christians were very easily led astray, and we're no different than them. And the apostle Peter was led astray by the false teachers, and we're no different than him. We need to really take these things to heart. And just as an application, we need to be in the Word of God as much as we can. The more you're in the Bible, meditating on these things, spending time, take time. I I know this is sort of detached from this message, but if you want to be certain about the Gospel and your relationship to Christ in the Gospel, we need to be in the Word of God. We need to take time out of our busy lives all the things that we rush around to do, we need to take time and sit and read and think over these things and meditate on them. It's the only way for them to sink down into our fabric. Even my preaching to you on Sunday is not going to do everything that God wants done, you must go back, read over these things, read through this book, meditate on these things, take the time to say what is being said about the gospel because it's with the care of meditating on these things that our hearts are slowly healed of the legalism and we're drawn closer and closer to Jesus Christ. Um, Brothers and sisters, you've been called. You're special because you've been called in the grace of Christ. You've been called to the one who has done everything for you. Don't turn away. From that to another gospel, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Lord, we need the healing grace that you give freely to sinners who are hell-deserving, who are undeserving, who have oftentimes uh, turned away, Father, in our hearts and our minds from the grace of Christ, Lord Jesus, draw near to us. As we come to the table this morning, we pray that we would see in the broken bread and the poured out wine more of the glories of what you have accomplished for us in your death and resurrection. Father, establish us. Establish us in the grace of Jesus. May we be vigilant to say no to everything that would come in and attack and pervert that gospel. May we be faithful to be intolerant to other Gospels that are not Gospels, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.